Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? The Matildas go down to Canada. Gilmore is on the hunt for a record-breaking eighth title and the WNBL sign a new broadcast deal. For our key story, we'll discuss the GOAT of women's tennis. We don't even need to put a name to it because it's very obvious who that is. Unsaid. My name is Chloe Dalton. I'm an Olympic gold medalist and play AFLW for the GWS Giants. I ate a lot of eucalyptus drops before the show and now I feel very... Like a koala? Like a koala. (laughs) Every week on the show, I'm joined by my co-host, Bez, who loves koalas. I do love koalas. (laughs) They are great... You They're donated great. An, they are great. You're right. They are great. You donated an orphan koala to me for my birthday recently. Well, they were all getting burnt. Thank you very it much. It made me for cry. That. This podcast drops every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. and you can get it in a newsletter format as well. So I'll put the link in the show notes so you can hit subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review. Let us know what you think. Throw us some stars. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah, I like stars. I like stars. Let's take a look around the grounds. In soccer, the Matildas went down in game one of their two-match friendly series to Canada 1-0 on Saturday at Suncorp Stadium. 25,016 supporters saw the Matildas play some great soccer in patches but failed to capitalise on the opportunities in front of goal. It was the Canadians who opened the scoring in the 12th minute when Adriana Leon smashed the ball from outside the area into the top corner after a failed clearance from the Matildas' defence. And despite having more possession and more shots on goal, the Matildas could not get the ball past the Canadians. Sam Kerr alone had seven attempts thwarted and the Canadian goalkeeper, Kaylin Sheridan, was arguably the player of the match. Was she named player of the match? No, Lydia Williams was. It was a goalkeeper fest. Goalkeeper off. I reckon they probably just could have shared it. (laughs) We're not here for participation awards. Koalas share things. (laughs) Matilda's coach, Tony Gustafsson, said afterwards that a game like this is most likely going to be decided on conversion rate in goal zones. You said, research bed said conversation rate, that you would be your conver- conversation rate if you were in front of goals. I can picture that very happening. very high. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be off well, the Richter. How do we rate a conversation rate? Is, does it have to be two-way? Because often I talk and no one listens. Nobody let's listens. Be honest. <laughs> Back to the quote. We had a lot of focus in training on finding the final pass and finishing. It's just one of those days. Sometimes in another game, we score three and we win the game. We've seen it before over and over again, not just for us, but in the game of football. But it's definitely something we need to work on. It's a frustrating part about soccer, isn't it? That's probably the thing that I find the most frustrating. And I don't know how sometimes football fans are so loyal and passionate because it's not always the best team on the day that wins. Nope, you can have all the ball, all the opportunities, mm. and then the other team goes up the other end and just flukes one. Yeah. Not saying that the Canadians did, but it does We're happen. We're impartial here at TIFA. It <laughs> does happen. And, um, yeah, it is – people put a lot of time and effort into the sport, and sometimes, like you said, it's not the best team that gets the chocolates. Mm-hmm. There's just over 10 months until the 2023 World Cup starts and the Matildas are desperate to get quality game time together against quality opponents. Canada are the Tokyo 2020 Olympic gold medalists and are currently ranked seventh in the world. So the quality opposition is there. Game two tonight, Tuesday night, will be a great chance to see if the Matildas can review where things went wrong on Saturday and make the required adjustments to level the series. I'm a bit devastated because I've got training on and I'd really like to go and watch them play. 
I hate it when your job gets in the t- in the way of fun. <laughs> TFAB is also my other job, though. You know, sorry, I can't come to training. I've got work. Tonight. I've, got, I've got some real life research to do. <laughs> In paddling, Jess Fox finished off her World Cup season on the weekend with some mixed results in Spain. In the K1, Fox actually missed out on qualification for the 10-woman final by one place and watched on as world champion Ricarda Funk. Love that name. Lover of Germany. Took the last race of the season with an error-free run. But the paddle goat had done enough to secure the overall champion, champion result after winning the season's four other World Cup K1 races. In the C1, Fox qualified for the final the fastest. She absolutely tore down the course, but couldn't replicate that run in the final and finished 10th. Again, she missed some gates and just such a a chaotic sport. Someone actually messaged me on Instagram that the missing the gate penalty is 50 seconds, not nine seconds. That'll do it. That'll get you. That result meant Fox finished sixth overall in the C1 for the season. Fox was... Stoked with her K1 victory and said it's been an amazing season. I'd have loved to have been in the mix for the K1 final. Unfortunately, I was only in 11th place, but I'm proud of the season I've had and thrilled to take the overall. It's been a super strong season from the girls and this final today. It was a pleasure to watch. Well done, Jess. You're a legend. In AFLW, the Demons took to the MCG on Friday night and hung on to win their second match of the season over North Melbourne. The Kangaroos were immense in defence and it took some late Alyssa Bannon heroics to secure the win for the Demons, three goals, eight, 26 to the Roos, accurate four goals, zero. Zip. Is that how you say that? I Milch, probably should not. Nil, nutter. <laughs> 24. Daisy Pierce kicked two goals in the first half and in her 50th game, Kangaroos vice captain Emma King kicked the opening goal of the game, then slotted one late to edge the Roos in front with minutes remaining. The Demons didn't lie down, and after two wins against solid opposition, the flag favourite tag looks to be sitting nicely on their shoulders. There was a big derby between Carlton and Essendon. Um, A lot of emotions in that one that you could actually see from some of the Carlton players. Um, Blues stars Matty Prasparkas and Georgia G left Carlton to move across to expansion team Essendon. Um, Maddie Prasparkas has been a, a Bombers fan her entire life, so it's been a big dream of hers to, to play there, and they're called Velcro, the two of them. They're um, attached at the hip. She was pretty fired up um, after earlier in the week. She actually said she was pretty disappointed about the way her ex-teammates gave her the cold shoulder after she signed with the Bombers. She kicked a goal five minutes into the final quarter that cut the margin to just three points, And it felt as though the Bombers might just pinch the win. But the Blues managed to hold on for a five-goal, two-thirty-two-to-four-goal, seven-thirty-one win. Darcy Vessio probably had one of the best games I've seen them play in in a while. Darcy was pretty fired up, Um, was was popping up all over the ground, uh, kicked three goals, a really nice snap from the pocket, and 11 disposals. So Vessio's experience was on full display late in the match as they directed their team in defence to ensure the Bombers had no easy outlets in transition from D to O. In NRLW, after three rounds, there are two teams left unbeaten. And that means that those teams, the Sydney Roosters and Newcastle Knights, have both secured a spot in the finals with two matches to play. It seems early, doesn't it? There's only six teams in the comp. Yeah, they only play five games. That's fair. Newcastle left it until late on Sunday against the Parramatta Eels. They were down 12-16 with only three minutes on the clock when Olivia Higgins crashed over from close range, leaving Kira Dibb with a conversion to win the match. 
Dib slotted the two points and the Knights got the win 18-16, to leaving the Eels still searching for their first win of the season. On Friday night, the Roosters christened the new Allianz Stadium with a big statement in the grand final rematch. So maybe Jamie Sard was on the money last week. Mm. Smashing the St. George of the Dragons 34-6. It was pretty tight. It was 6-all early in the second half. Um, but Racine McGregor, she was instrumental on the weekend. A kicking game was just spot on. She set up four tries as her team ran away with she's the game. She's been playing really well, hasn't she? Yeah, really well. She's always had that really good game sense. Obviously, she's a rugby union girl as well as a league girl. Just looks like she's got a body right. She's battled some injuries, I think, over mm. the years. She seems to be fit and strong, and she's just carving for the Roosters this year. Um, the old defence wins trophies. That's – I reckon – All you talk about is all the things I like to say. I say a lot of things, obviously. A lot of things on repeat, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, defence does win trophies, so I don't care what you say. Um, and it was – <laughs> Well, it was on full display in the big game and the Roosters up and in defence shut superstar fullback Emma Tonegato down every time she had the ball. They obviously realised what a key cog ET is in their attack Mm -hmm. and they just gave her zero space and time. The Dragons will definitely need to find a way to combat that if they're going to reverse the result from Friday night when the finals roll around. In surfing, Steph Gilmore currently holds the record for the number of women's world titles alongside Lane Beachley. Both women have seven victories to their names. Isn't it so cool that it's two Aussie women that hold that record? Yeah, we're good at the surfings. We are good at that. This week, Gilmore gets to have a crack at number eight when the end of season one day finals extravaganza kicks off at Lower Trestles in California. You do a hand motion with that extravaganza. I don't think you can say that word without extravaganza. Thank you. <laughs> Gilmore will head into the event in fifth spot and will need to survive three knockout rounds against the surfers ranked above her to advance to the best of three title series against world number one Carissa Moore, who is bidding for a sixth crown. So she's getting closer to number seven as well. Six is close to seven, folks. It is a huge challenge for Steph. She's done mathing's good today. Wow, we are on fire. We've had a big weekend trip to Canberra for a bit of footy. It is a huge challenge for Steph, but she'll be drawing on experience from last season's final tournament to really shake up the event. It's been an amazing effort for her to make the finals after COVID ruled her out of the opening event at Pipeline in Hawaii. She said this week, I'm actually super disappointed about missing Pipeline and having such a bad result at Sunset Beach because I know I could have gotten a really decent result at Pipeline and I would have been sitting in a much better position heading into the final five right now. But if anyone can win from fifth, it's Steph. If she does make it past Brissa Hennessy, Tatiana Westonweb and Joanne DeFay, it would be the first time Gilmore and Moore have gone head to head in the water for a title. But that's surprising. Yeah, really surprising. I think Chris Moore and Tyler have had a lot of battles for mm. them at you know right at the end of the season, and obviously this is a new format. It's on their second year, it's been like this. But yeah, I was quite surprised that they haven't been in the water together to when the, with everything on the line. And I guess that is part of the old format, right? Like if they were battling out for a title a lot of the time, they could be in the final against someone completely different. Then it didn't really matter. Yeah, exactly. Gilmore was full of praise for Moore, saying Carissa, in my mind, is the greatest female surfer. Interesting. She's had such great success and she is just getting stronger and stronger. I think last year for her to win the world title and the Olympic gold medal in one year has got to be the greatest competitive year for a professional surfer ever. It's a very generous compliment, isn't it? I agree, though. 
don't get me wrong, I love Tyler and Steph, but Chris is a good surfer. She's a very good surfer. Very good. In cricket, not surfing, the Women's 100 tournament wound up in England on the weekend with Australia's Talia McGrath and Amanda Jade Wellington just missing out for their team, the Southern Brave. It was South African legend Marizan Cap who led the Oval Invincibles to a five-wicket win. The final was held at Lords, and the crowd of 20,840 was a record for a women's domestic match. Cool. Nailed it. Yeah. The tournament was hailed a success for the women's game with all eight venues setting new records for women's matches. Additionally, I love this stat, 28% of all ticket buyers were female. Great. Which was a substantial increase from 2021. So there are calls for a draft system. The men's um, competition that, that runs alongside it has a draft system where basically, you know, teams bid for players and mm. as a result, they drive competition for those signings. That didn't happen for the women for the first two seasons of the 100 and there's been calls for that to happen next year because the women's tournament is, um, as the organisers continually spoken about, integral to the 100. So if it is integral, surely the players should be subject to the same signing process and salary because at the moment the women's salaries remain a quarter of those of the men on average. Say there is a cap, so teams bid for a player. Does yep. the player have any say in where they go? Not if it's a draft, no. So Alyssa Healy nominates for the draft mm-hmm. and she gets bought by the highest bidder effectively. Cool. Yeah. I uh, like it. England's not very big. <laughs> it's not as if it's, it's, choice. A- it's a choice between England and South Africa, you know. It's- yeah, yeah. That's fair. In basketball, we are getting close to the FIBA World Cup opener on September the 22nd. And on the other side of the world, there are still two Aussies playing WNBA semifinals. Ezzy Magbagor and Steph Talbot are playing for the Seattle Storm and are currently 2-1 down in their best of five game series. Game four will be tomorrow at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern time. And if the Storm win the next two matches and make the WNBA finals, the two Aussies may miss the Opals opening match of the World Cup. We don't want that. No, but I'm really torn because I really want the Storm to do well. It's very... So I've come up with a plan. Okay, they, please, let us know. They win the next two matches against the Aces. Yeah. And then depending on the sky or the sun, whoever they play, the sun is in the sky, Connecticut or Chicago. Wow. Um, anyway, depending on who they face, they just win 3-0 and then they get home in time. Oh, that's a great solution. Great so then plan. they still win the championship. Yeah, it's only if they get to game five in okay. the WNBA final series. I've just stolen your bit. Go for it. But you the, do the research anyway. Game five of the WMA finals is scheduled for the 21st of September. And the opening game is on the 22nd of September. Yeah. So you could, if you've won in game five and you celebrate with champagne in the change rooms. You're missing game one. Yeah, absolutely. You can't even fly back in that time. No. Good maths. Good maths. So much good maths. <laughs> so much maths today. Opals coach Sandy Brondello wished the Aussies all their best, all the best in their finals run and confirmed that Steph and Ezzy will join the team as soon as their season is done in the WNBA. I think she probably wants them back ASAP. Mm. Um, it's going to be a pretty tricky situation regardless of who's in the finals and there's sure to be some of the best players in the world involved, therefore arriving late. USA Basketball announced a huge 28-player squad for a training camp from September 6th to the 12th to try and allow for as many players as possible to be considered given the potential clash of dates. It just is a bit of – I don't understand the organising, how that's happened. I know. Neither do I. The late finishing date of the WNBA will unfortunately mean that some of them may have to make a choice between representing their country over playing for their club team. Do you call it a club team? Yeah, it's a club team. 
match or club level in the best competition in the world. Um, yeah, look, probably could have been avoided with some better planning, but let's just hope storm in three. Storm in three. Get it done, girls. I like it. In some domestic basketball news, the WNBL has signed a two-year broadcast deal with the Nine Network and ESPN. The deal will see all 68 regular season games plus selected finals live streamed nationally on Nine Now and 16 games plus finals shown live on ESPN. The deal will see the WNBL paid a modest rights fee by both Nine and ESPN to broadcast games while an overseas broadcast deal which the league hopes will result in games being shown in several other countries, including the United States, is also progressing well. Sorry, to clarify, all 68 regular season games will be free on nine now. Correct. That's a great outcome. Awesome outcome. We love it on free to air. Yeah. And I like this too. The WNBL will attempt to claim Wednesday night as their own marquee time slot as part of a new fixture that hopes to seize upon the lack of a midweek sport. Mm. I love that. How do you feel about midweek sport? Um, yeah, great. From a broadcast point of view, probably not the greatest for an attendance point of view, mm. but it's something that you come home, you know, eat dinner, watch the game of basketball. Yeah, I remember during COVID when footy started back up again, even Thursday night footy, it was so exciting and it almost makes it feel like the weekend already. Mm. Yeah, I think, they, I think you can struggle to get people through the door yeah. in person. Yeah. Just because work, life, kids, you mm. know. Commitments are probably more prevalent on a Wednesday night than they are on a, on a Saturday. But no, I think it's great. And so every round will open with a Wednesday night fixture being yeah, broadcast cool. on ESPN, including the grand final rematch between Perth Lynx and the Melbourne Boomers at the Bendut Basketball Centre, which will launch the season on November 2. And just in case you need another reason to tune in, LJ's back. She's just, it's just, it's just comeback after comeback after comeback. It's so good. It's so good for the sport. Yeah. So she has signed with the Southside Flyers for the WNBL season and more going, more better. Let's take a look at the key story. In tennis, the US Open continues and the goat killer, I mean, the goat's not dead, but she did beat her. She's evolved. Aussie Isla Tomlanovic has just beaten Ludmia Samsonova, 7-6-6-1 in the fourth round to progress to the quarterfinals at the US Open for the first time. It's a convincing win, isn't it? Yeah. I was watching whilst researching, double, <laughs> double screening, and um, that first set was tight. One game, I think it was the game for, to get to 6-all to force the tiebreak, went for 20 minutes. One game. Wow. It's a long game. Interesting kind of mindset shift for her to go from a packed Arthur Ashe Stadium absolutely jumping to playing on Louis Armstrong Arena. Still a good, not, but not the main stadium. She definitely would have been a bit of a, a shift in intensity mm. because obviously all eyes were on the Aussie on Saturday when she took on Serena Williams, who had announced she was evolving away from tennis prior to the US Open in the third round. And in an impressive performance, Tom Lanovich got the result after a tense battle, which included six match points in the engrossing three-plus-hour slugfest that ended 7-5-6-7-6-1. The emotion in Arthur Ashe Stadium was incredible, and the Aussie managed to block that out in what had to be her best performance on a big stage to date. This broke my heart after the match. Wasn't it? It was so conflicting, wasn't it? I thought, I thought that she handled herself really well. Amazingly. Yeah. And after this bit after the match when she was apologetic, mm. like she was genuinely apologetic to the crowd and the goat. 
And she said, I'm feeling really sorry. What she's done for me for the sport is just incredible. This is a surreal moment for me. And then when asked how she handled the pressure, she responded, I just thought she'd beat me. So the pressure wasn't on me. She was like, she kind of walked out there defeated, which probably not the best idea, but you Mm. know. She said, even to the last point, I knew that she's in a position to win, even when she's down 5-1. She's Serena. She's the greatest of all time, period. Cool. Well done. And now you've got to go and win the whole thing, Isla. I think Please and thank you. Yeah. And I think it kind of wraps it up nicely for Serena if she does that. You know, if you're defeated by the eventual champion, there's a bit of like, you know what, I went down to the best person in the tournament. I like that. Serena cried happy tears after the match and paid tribute to her family, singling out her big sister Venus in the post-match interview. I wouldn't be Serena if there wasn't Venus. So thank you, Venus. She's the only reason Serena Williams ever existed. That Why did I almost get a bit emotional reading that? It's because it was powerful. amazing. It was really powerful. It was really, really cool. Um, Venus in the crowd looked like she was staunch. Really staunch, almost as if she didn't want to let her emotions out. Yeah, I'll go. Let's go with that. You disagree? Well, no, no. I, I would never be in a position like that. So I don't understand how I would react. But mm. it, yeah, it was a very conflicting um, display of emotions. Yeah. Obviously. And that was, to be fair, probably the most emotional I've ever seen Serena. Yeah, I agree. She really fell fell apart Mm. in a good way Mm. um, and and was quite vulnerable out there in front of millions. Millions of people. Maybe Venus took the um, less vulnerable route. Yep. But I love that. Just being, putting it out there. Venus, Venus absolutely paved the way for Serena, you know, she was a big sister. Yeah, exactly. And I loved, um, what's it called, the movie? King Richard. King Richard. Man, that was cool, that moment. I hope that was true when, when Richard actually pulled Serena aside. So don't worry, you'll change the game. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Anyway, I was thinking about that when Serena was talking about Venus, um, but she left a, a little nugget of gold out there in Bez's words in the post-match pressure. Presser. Pressure. Pressure. She was asked if she would reconsider her retirement plan given how well she'd been playing and her response gave us Aussies a slither of hope that we might see her one more time. I don't think so. I always did love Australia though. Love that. Just book your tickets, people, just in case. Just in case. If you're looking for some concrete stats around her goatness, there's a great article on the ABC Sports site that has a crack at comparing some of the greats of the game. Of course, players across eras and across different tournaments and conditions is difficult and leaves plenty of room for debate. But here are some of the numbers that you can't argue with. You ready Love for this? stats. Hit me. All-time Grand Slam titles. Margaret Court, 24. Serena Williams, 23. Steffi Graf, 22. Open era Grand Slam titles. So the open era began in 1968. Prior to that era, professionals were not allowed to compete in the majors. So if we're talking about open era Grand Slam titles... Serena Williams, 23, Steffi Graf, 22, Margaret Court, 11. Mm. Court won most of her titles between 1960. Oh, sorry, she won all of her titles between 1960 and 1973. So eight years of those were whilst professionals weren't competing in mm-hmm. the majors. Olympic gold medals, Serena Williams, four, Steffi Graf, one. Doubles major titles. And this was in this article that I read, I, I actually, he kind of, they, they, they touched on the point that the only person that really probably does challenge her goatness, is Martina Navratilova. Mm. You said that fast. Definitely <laughs> definitely didn't nail that. Martina Navratilova. Thank you. Was that right? She won 41 doubles major titles. That's insane. I thought Serena had more than four, though. 
No. Is it only four? I think the difference, obviously, well, I think you don't win a lot of singles titles and, ma- and doubles titles mm. at the same ages. Yeah. Like once, I think a lot of the times when Serena got to a certain stage in the singles event, she pulled out of the doubles event. Understandably. Because if you're playing singles and doubles, you're playing every night. It's exhausting. Yeah. But, yeah, 41. So he kind of – I love the comparison they did, but basically they were like, look, Martina ends, doubles titles do count for a lot. But, um, yeah, look, it's – I think the numbers are there for, for Serena. Even if you take away the performance, it's on court. Off court she's been absolutely outstanding. Yeah, even – so her first major title was the 1999 US Open and her last was the Australian Open in 2017. That is 18 years at the very top of the international game. And like you touched on there, you could argue that her off-court victories have been even greater than that. She's been unapologetic in her fight for equality in the areas of race, gender, body image and so many other spaces. And for that, we will be forever grateful. I can't wait to see what she does next. Me either. Let's take a look at what to watch. In soccer, the Matildas face Canada tonight, Tuesday night at the new Allianz Stadium. They'll be looking for revenge after going down in the first match. It kicks off at 7.40pm and if you haven't been out to the new stadium yet, get yourself a ticket now. If you're not in Sydney, you can tune in live and free on 10 Bold and the 10 Play app. New Allianz to treat. Get there. What better way if you haven't been than to go watch some women's sport? Love it. Huge match in the NRLW this weekend when the two undefeated teams face off. The Sydney Roosters and Newcastle Knights will play at Allianz Stadium on Sunday. So if you can't make Tuesday night, get there on Sunday. The match kicks off at 1.10pm. And if you are unable to attend, make sure you catch all the action live on Nine Network, Foxtel or KO. In AFLW, it's a big week for the Sydney teams. The first ever GWS Giants and Sydney Swans AFLW derby will be played at the SCG on Saturday at 2.40pm. Get your orange and charcoal on and get to the SCG on Saturday. You can watch live from home on the AFLW app, Foxtel, KO and the 7 Network. Cannot wait for that. Go the Giants. Go the Giants. The US Open continues with finals to be played this weekend. Aussie Isla Tomlanovic will play her quarterfinal match tomorrow, Wednesday, time TBC. Don't miss any action from New York by tuning into Stan Sport or the Nine Network. And the World Surf League finals are where it all goes on the line. A world champ will be crowned at some point between September 8th and 16th and you can watch it all live on WSL.com, Foxtel and the Seven Network. And that's the wrap. Got through it. Sunday games for Chloe with bus trips and all sorts of things involved. It's a struggle on a Monday. Thanks so much. See you next week. (laughs) Goodbye for now. Bye. Bye.